third reading in our sermon text for today is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Again, give your ear to God's word. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have provided all that we need through your riches and glory, through your Son, Christ Jesus. And you have provided your word for us. We pray that as we consider it today, that you would transform us to be like your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Martin Luther said, There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. You knew I wasn't going to let Reformation Day pass without getting at least one Martin Luther quote into the sermon. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, the conversion of the purse. We normally think of the conversion of the heart and of the mind, of turning away from our sins and sinful desires and turning to God, but when Martin Luther says the conversion of the purse, he means our material goods, that our material life likewise needs to be converted and used for God's purposes. Certainly this was the case of the Philippian church. Their purses, their wallets had been converted. You remember as we've studied through Philippians, we've talked that Philippians was written in response to that church sending Epaphroditus to Paul while he was in prison with a gift and to minister to his needs while he was there. And as we've come to the end of the book here in chapter 4, we've come to the section where Paul is thanking them for their gift. As we consider it again, last time we saw that Paul, in talking about conversion of our material goods, modeled for us Christian contentment. He showed us that through our union with Christ, we can learn to be content whether we're full or whether we lack that was verses 
10 through 13. And this week, we're going to focus on verses 14 through 20. And we're going to learn how we should view our giving. How should we think about using our material goods, our finances, our time, our energy, in administering the mission of God? Paul gives us a few lessons as he talks to the Philippians. And the first one is that giving, the conversion of our purse, our material goods, is in fact itself ministry. Giving is in fact itself ministry. We usually think that, that we give financially or of our time and of our goods so that someone else can do ministry. Maybe ministers or, or missionaries or pastors. We give so that they can do the work of ministry, but that's not the view that Paul has in here. One of the, one of the, again, one of the main purposes for writing the letter was to thank them, as he says back in chapter 1, verse 5, for their participation in the gospel, their participation in his gospel ministry. And that word he uses, their participation, is koinonia, the Greek word that many of you are familiar with. It means fellowship or a joint participation, a sharing, a communion, or in, in chapter 1, verse 5, fellowship. It's the word that Paul uses when he tells the Corinthians that our communion, our, our Lord's Supper, is a participation in the body and the blood of the Lord. Through contributing financially and material, materially to the Lord's mission, Paul is telling the Philippians that they were participating with Paul in ministry. That's how he describes it in verse 15. Look there, he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me. No church had fellowship with me. No church had partnership with me. It's the same word concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And in verse 14, he calls their giving a sharing, again, the same word, a participation in his sufferings. Isn't that interesting? He says, not that you relieved my sufferings, but that you participated in them by sending your gift and your ministry with Epaphroditus. All of our giving, financially, materially, of our time and energy, is based upon this idea of fellowship, this idea of participation. At the base, this is what it means to use what we have in order to further God's mission because God has fellowship. He has participated with us through His Son, Jesus. There's a famous verse, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Or as Paul says to the Ephesians, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. God gave of himself in giving of his son to us. And so all of our giving and receiving is based upon the fellowship that God has with us. I know many of you have heard me tell the story before about the beginnings of the Sudan Interior Mission, how there were 
There were three young men in the 1890s who wanted to bring the gospel into the interior of Africa. And how two out of the three did not survive that first trip. But one, Roland Bingham, he survived the first trip. And on successive journeys, uh, back and forth from England to Nigeria, eventually established a ministry there that today has reached millions of people. Um, Hundreds of churches planted all throughout Africa from their sacrifice to bring the gospel inland in Africa. Um, I I know I've told this story a number of times at, at the Epiphany Party and other places, but there's another aspect to this story that doesn't often get told uh, about a woman named Mary Jones. There's a woman named Mary Jones. You see, when, when Roland Bingham and his two friends landed in West Africa, they had enough material goods to get them across the ocean and into Lagos, Nigeria, but that was about it. They had, they had nothing to get inland with, And as they sat at the port, they decided, we're going to take a week to fast and pray and figure out what to do. Well, as the week wore on and they realized that their resources were running out, they started to sell things that they considered non-essential just to get by to buy food. Eventually, they got down to selling their watches and other articles of clothing Um, Maybe one of us can take a trip inland. And then, near the end of the week, they received a letter from Mary Jones, and with it, $300, which in 1890s is a lot of money. And with that money, they were able to get inland and and have their first uh, trip inland, where two died, Roland survived and eventually begin this ministry. Now this woman, Mary, who sent the letter was a housekeeper in England who had heard through her church about the ministry of Roland Bingham and his friends. And Roland tells the story how when, when Mary died, her family came to collect all of her belongings, her extended relatives. She had no husband, no children. Came to collect her belongings at the funeral and uh, the house that she worked at, they said, yes, her, her stuff is upstairs. You can, you can go find it there. So they went and looked in her trunk, and you know, they were looking for maybe a will. They found no will, but they did find her logbook of her finances. And she had a good salary for the day, uh, for the time period. And she had all of her expenses laid out, and then every few entries, they would find things like $50 for the native worker in India, $100 for the native worker in South America. And they knew, as they looked through the logbook, that at some point she had received an inheritance for $300. And sure enough, near the end of her logbook, they found the entry, received legacy, $300, and then just a few days later, paid out legacy for the Sudan, $300. Bingham said of her later, the gift that this servant girl 
came just at the moment of our greatest need and made possible that first journey into the Sudan. Out of that gift 50 years ago, in a real sense, has come the great harvest of hundreds of converts every year, which we are seeing today. Mary Jones was a woman who understood that using our material goods, our money, is a participation in ministry. Roland Roland Bingham certainly understood that Mary's giving enabled them to go inland, and, and more than that, was participating in seeing the hundreds and millions of converts that we've seen today. So as we consider what Paul's teaching us about using our finances, that this is in fact itself ministry, we need to change our view a little bit about considering how we contribute financially, materially, of our time, like Epaphroditus, to go and to minister uh, and to serve those who are preaching and teaching, that this is, in fact, itself participation in the ministry. And if our, if our giving is itself participation, then we should take time to get to know those to whom we're giving. You know, Epaphroditus and the Philippians knew Paul personally. They knew Paul well. There's a way that we can, we can simply give without being aware, being involved in the lives of those that we're giving to. But that's not what the Philippians did. And Paul really knew that they had a partnership in the gospel, that they loved and cared for one another, and that's what resulted in their giving and receiving. And so just a few weeks ago, um, I showed you guys Yost Nixon's letter whom we support as a church uh, over in Athens doing pastoral training and theological education for uh, Training Leaders International. I, I would suggest that you guys go uh, read the letter that's back there in the case. Uh, if you want his contact information to, to email Yost a, a note of encouragement, um, look up TLI's website, get to know the people that we're supporting as a church because we really are participating in their ministry, and they're doing very good work there. Finally, I'd like you to think about praying for new ways, identifying new ways that we can use our time, our money, our space as a congregation to participate in ministry locally here to the people around us and perhaps even internationally. Who can we get to know and participate with and, and use and give of ourselves in a, in, a, in a partnership, in a fellowship, in a koinonia kind of way. So begin to pray about that, think about that, get to know the people or learn about the people that we support as a church. The second thing that Paul teaches us about Christian giving is that it's a joy and a privilege. Look again at verses 15 and 16. He said, You Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. It was a privilege, at least the Philippians considered a privilege, 
to contribute and to participate in Paul's ministry. We know this because no other church shared with Paul in this way in giving and receiving. In fact, Paul often would not accept contributions from the, the congregations, the churches that he was ministering to and among. Um, he, he knew that there were philosophers, public teachers during that time period who would uh, move from town to town and place to place and charge, charge money for their teachings. He wanted to distance himself uh, from that sort of thing and often wouldn't accept financial, um, financial maintenance from the churches that he was with. So, for example, when he, when he arrived in Corinth, he first joined the tent-making business of Priscilla and Aquila, and then he would spend the Sabbaths teaching in, in the synagogues. But it says in, in Acts chapter 18 that when Paul and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, where Philippi is, that they brought with him a gift, and he was occupied with the word. It allowed him to preach and teach all throughout the week. But the Philippians began supporting Paul well before he got to Corinth. In fact, it says that they sent him aid in Thessalonica, which was the, exact, was, which was the next stop after his time in Philippi. So you can, you can imagine, Paul came and preached the gospel in Philippi, and we have Lydia and the jailer and, and the slave girl, and the congregation is there starting. And as Paul leaves town, he gets to the next town, and there, chasing him right at his hill, heels, is a delegation from the Philippian church he had just planted with a gift. Paul, we want to support you. Paul, we want to participate in what you're doing. Paul, we want, we want to help. He could barely get one town over before they were helping him financially. They considered it a joy and a privilege to partner with Paul. Later, Paul would describe the Philippians' desire to contribute to the ministry in this way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, in the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. He's talking about their desire, even beyond supporting Paul, to support the saints in Jerusalem. But you can see in, in our text today and in this text their attitude towards giving of their finances and their times and their time and their goods. It was sacrificial giving. It was with abundant joy, as he says. They were freely willing, imploring with much urgency. How, how does a group, a congregation, get this way? Where they are chasing down the missionary to support him, asking, imploring to give to the saints in Jerusalem. Well, they're not only partakers with Paul in his ministry, but he says in chapter 1, verse 7, they were partakers with him in grace. They had received the grace of God through the gospel 
of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Paul. And that free reception of the gospel had made them generous and free with their time and their resources. We all have a debt before God that we cannot pay. We all have a debt of sin that we owe to God. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you're here in this room and you have believed in Jesus, God has taken your great and unpayable debt and transferred it all unto his son and the cross who died for your sins in your place and rose from the dead so that you could be completely forgiven, completely free, completely justified in the sight of God. You no longer have the debt of sin hanging over you. Colossians tells us, You who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Yes, we all come to Jesus Christ with nothing, but having received such a free and full pardon from a God who has given of himself so freely for us, does that not make us also a free and generous people in all areas of life? Free to forgive, free with our money, free with our time, free to serve. Freely you have received, Jesus told the apostles, freely give. The Philippians certainly were eager to partner with Paul financially to see the good news reach other people who also, they knew, needed to hear this word of life that they had freely received. And they also teach us to look to the eternal, to have an eternal perspective on our time and on our finances. Look at verse 17. Paul reminds them a lesson that they already knew. Not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. God is not unjust to forget the work and labor of love that you show towards his people, towards his mission. This is the eternal mindset, that God has freely forgiven me of all of my sin. He provides everything that I need, and I am looking to the resurrection of the dead when God will provide for me completely, eternally, a resurrected body, fellowship with him. And through receiving that grace, we are free to be generous with our time and with our energy, knowing that God does not even forget a cup of cold water that you give towards his people or one cent that you give towards his missions, his mission. So the question is, do we have this perspective? Has has the gospel that God has freely forgiven you of all of your sins taken hold of you, has it to the point that has converted not only your mind and your heart, but also your your purse, also your the way that you use your material goods? Jesus told us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We would all do well as individuals and as a congregation to consider 
that the, whether the proportions of our expenditures and our budget reveal that we have a heart that has been gripped by the gospel. Be like the Philippians. Give yourself first freely to the Lord and then to His people, to His mission. And if you do that, then you will not lack in the giving of your material resources and of your time. We also see that giving, Christian giving, is worship. As he says in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Giving to the mission of God is worship. That's what Paul means when he uses the language of sacrifice there in verse 18. Paul often uses language of sacrifice to describe the activities of God's people. Jeremy read that verse at the very beginning of our, of our service from Romans 12, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Peter tells us that we are living stones being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Hebrews tells us that through Christ we offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of His lips, giving thanks to His name. And yes, even the giving of our material goods is listed as a sacrifice. In Hebrews 13, 16 it says, Do not forget to do good and to share. There's our word again. To fellowship, to communicate. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What a wonderful notion right there in Hebrews and in our text that you can please God with your sacrifices. Your sacrifices of praise and worship, offering of your, your own body, your own self, your time and your energy and your goods. We offer sacrifice to God. Of course, all of our sacrifices are laid upon and done through Jesus Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross so that we would, that we would die to our dead works and serve the living God, as it says in the book of Hebrews. This is, a way, this is why at the end of our sermons we, also, we always say, let's continue our worship of God by giving Him His tithes in our offerings. In a sense, then, contributing towards the mission of Christ and relieving the needs of his people is an offering to Christ himself because of his close fellowship, his koinonia with his people. Like Jesus famously says in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Epaphroditus, who we've read about, has passed into glory long ago. But on the great day, on the last day, he will have this commendation from the Lord. I was in prison and you visited me. The Philippian congregation will hear from the Lord. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you gave me clothes. The way we use 
our resources towards God's people and toward God's kingdom shows us how we love God himself. First John tells us that we know we love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does God's love abide in him? So as you look around the room, you think about spending your time. If you think about spending your resources, as you look at one another, see Christ. Take some time to worship God by using the things that he's given you to bless your brothers and sisters, to bless those in your community, and to bless those who labor to advance the kingdom. And it also reminds us that with the right disposition, everything that we do, whether it's housework or homework or commuting or eating and drinking with one another, can be offered as a sacrifice, as a worship to God. And so let us keep this mindset as we consider how to use our goods. And finally, we see that Christian given, giving is aimed at God's glory. Look at verses 19 and 20. He tells them, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See that the supply for the kind of, of sacrificial giving, of pouring of ourselves out that we've been talking about today is supplied from God. I know as I've talked about giving your time and your money, your service to the church and to God's mission, um, some of you have begun to think to yourselves, I want to do that. I'll, I'll give more when I have more. I'll, I'll do more when I have more time. But we shouldn't think that, that the Philippians were, were giving to Paul because they were wealthy benefactors. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 8, they were giving out of poverty and sacrificially. God's not waiting for you to have more money or more time in order to give. He's supplied all your need, as it says in verse 19, and he's waiting to see if you are faithful with what he's given you. But they, the Philippians, had that promise that God would provide all of their needs, and we have that promise too. All of our needs will be met through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So where are you? What, what do you need from God? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need grace? Do you need encouragement? All of this is available to you in Christ. Do you need to be provided for materially? You might be like Paul and need food and clothing and a place to stay. God will provide all that we need through Christ Jesus. But don't forget, as we've seen in Philippians, 
and we see in the life of our community that often happens through other members in the church. You can be that conduit to provide encouragement and support even materially for one another. As we fellowship and communicate with one another in this way, God is glorified, as he said in verse 20. Now to God our Father be glory forever and ever. As we share with one another and as we give towards the mission of God, realizing that God supplies all of our need, not being fearful but having faith, we glorify God just as the Philippians did. Consider how you're using your time, your money, your resources to worship God, to advance the kingdom, and to serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided for all of our needs through your riches and glory in your Son, Jesus. We thank you that we can worship you with our whole selves through praise and prayer through the giving of our bodies, our time, and our money. Lord, we thank you that Jesus sacrificed on our behalf, and we pray that you would teach us to sacrifice on behalf of others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.